That was pretty in sync. It wasn't in sync on my side, but maybe it did sync up anyway. It, it sounded probably as close as we're going to get. Maybe it wasn't in sync, but maybe it was a little Backstreet Boys. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> At least it wasn't 98 degrees. Oh, fuck them. Nick Lachey <laughs> can kiss my ass. <laughs> Uh, you never deserve Jessica Simpson. <laughs> I don't know anything about her. Like, she could be a horrible person. I just wanted to make that joke. That's fair. That's fair. Um, <laughs> you remember Ashley Simpson? You mean uh, the lip-syncing nose job, <laughs> formerly dating Pete Wentz? Ashley Simpson? She had kids with that guy. Did she? Oh yeah, they had kids. Have you? Yeah. Have you seen him lately? Oh, he looks haggard. He looks like he could be the uncle of the rest of Folly Boy. Like, <laughs> like it, it's funny because I only recently started loving Fallout Boy, but I don't love their like current stuff. Like, okay. yeah, because because back in the day when like Cork Tree and stuff came out, I was like. I'm so punk and like you know I, I was trying too hard to fit into like this punk rock mold that yeah. I wouldn't admit that I like that stuff so I would never listen to it but now that I'm like I hit 30 and I'm like who gives a fuck about like trying to fit into this mold of punk rock so I started you know accepting that I enjoy Fall Out Boy like From One of the Cork Tree is a fantastic album start to finish yeah definitely but like so I'm really getting into that stuff and like thanks for the memories and stuff like that but like back in those days Pete Wentz was like the face of the band because he was like the hot one all the girls said he was such a babe yeah and now you look at Fall Out Boy today and he's like the worst looking one in the group (laughs) like Pat Stump like shaved his sideburns and lost that baby chub and like he's fucking adorable now plus like the dude is so talented oh yeah joe just joe you know he looks like a metal version of howard wallowitz from the big bang theory (laughs) does but like andy hurley is the only member of that band i follow on social media the dude is like he cut his hair grew a beard and started doing crossfit and got in shape so now like (laughs) He plays all their shows basically just wearing, like, gym shorts with no shirt on, and he's, like, ripped and built. It's like, god damn, son, like... And Pete Wentz just looks like he crawled out of, like, the Legion at 3 a.m. You know, it's kind of funny, uh, to bring it back around, Pete Wentz in the 2000s was kind of the, the Nick Carter of Fall Out Boy, like... The one that all the all the girls wanted and all the girls flocked to was on all the posters, yeah. you know. And both of those guys are pretty fucking rough these days. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, they look like they've been in a fight. Yeah, with each other. <laughs> yep. Speaking of fights... <laughs> That's a perfect segue. Welcome to Jedi Dropouts, where we talk about boy bands and other boy band-related things. Oh. As always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, hailing from parts unknown and hopefully wearing any trunks at all today, Mr. James Moss. And I am here with the fourth Dudley boy, 
Ryan Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dreams, man, dreams. <laughs> uh, I, I could never pull off that that uh, that camo. No, though, uh, not my thing. The fake glasses, though. Oh, absolutely. The Hanson Brothers style glasses, yep. right? With the little tape middle. Yep. Yeah. Um, multi-purpose. Wear them wear em, wear em in the ring, wear them on the ring. Yep. Uh, Hell yeah. So, if you, didn't, if you didn't guess by now, today we're doing a whole episode about fighting. Um, because over the, like, the last, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say half a year or so, a lot of fighting topics have come up in episodes that we wanted to go a little further with. Like, um, in our 30 Questions episode, we were talking about wrestling a little bit. Uh, in the E3 episode, we were talking about fighting games. And then in the Father's Day episode, we were talking about action movies. So, we figured just to throw them all in a fucking pot, mix it around, and make a Jedi Drop It's episode about it. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we've got some fun stuff lined up here today. Uh, we have a real mailbag for once. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first time in a couple months now. Um, uh, and I guess that is the, uh, that's the best thing to, to kick this off with. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, so we've got three questions from two want to say fan mail but as always it's it's friend mail because <laughs> these are close friends of ours uh first off my final form co-host mitchell clark of course he had to ask a, an anime based question here he asked us uh he wants to know how long should you and your opponent scream at each other before fighting four episodes yeah, roughly roughly four to five episodes is a good number. Uh, if Dragon Ball Z taught us anything, that's so. I guess make sure you have um, some sort of television program playing in the background of any fight that you yep. get in, just so you can measure the screaming appropriately. Or if you are uh, at the bar and this occurs, the appropriate amount of time to scream at each other is until last call when they turn the lights on. Well, I mean, it's just easier to see everything with the lights on. Because then you use that to your advantage. They flick the light on, and it temporarily blinds your opponent, and that is when you strike. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, that's when you grab the, the nearest beer bottle and attempt to do the cool bottle smashy thing. and then Cut your hand. Yeah. <laughs> and look like an asshole. Yep. Um, Story of my life. If you're getting in a bar fight, you're probably an asshole to begin probably. with. Probably. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, we got two more questions here, both from Matt Pike, who, of course, I expected some questions from, uh, and I definitely expected a wrestling-based question. So, <laughs> uh, Matt wants to know... James, if me and you were to become pro wrestlers, what gimmicks we would use? I think, knowing us, we would use, um, we would use the superhero gimmick, kind of like Hurricane Helms. Yeah, yeah, Hurricane, that's right, okay. Yeah, I think that's the gimmick that we would use. We would be a tag team yeah. of, um, 
guys dressed as superheroes. Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. You could be ho- Hustle and the Atomic Beard. <laughs> I think that would work. What about, like, we could be played up for uh, for jokes a little bit? We could be, like, uh, uh, what's the term they use for those guys they use just to put over other guys? Um, they're only really there for the to lose to better wrestlers. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm only familiar... Like, I'm not up on wrestling terminology. Yeah. I know, like, heel is, like, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. You got, you got your heels and your faces. You got your stables. Uh, I forget the terms. There's a term for those guys. Like... Uh, yeah, I know. I just can't remember what it is. Like, uh, you remember um, back when Goldberg was a thing and they had that guy, Gilberg? Gilberg. Yeah. He, I fucking remember Gilberg to shit. Yeah, that guy. He tried to jump over the ropes one day and landed on his nuts <laughs> on the rope and his opponent just, like, couldn't stop laughing at him. Yeah. That guy was one of those, like, um, but, yeah, what if, what if we, uh, did a superhero thing, and we called ourselves, instead of the Avengers, the B-Avengers? Yes. Yeah, like the B-List Avengers? Yeah, that could work. Uh, I also thought of one that, like, kind of plays into that, into the geekiness side of it, is what if you did, like, a comic book guy-style character, where, like... He he was a heel of of course, but he was just like overly specific and critical and like instead of taunting his opponents in terms of like the the regular like smack talk, he just pointed out how they were being derivative of better wrestlers from like decades before. I don't know. There's a heel in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And and being being a bigger guy, there's only so many types of characters I could play in wrestling. Like, it's pre- it's pretty limited. Uh, I'm not Japanese, and and the the lumberjack thing's already been done so many times. So you know. Yeah. Uh, and Matt's got one more question for us, just to top off this mailbag. Uh, Before we move on to that last question, yeah. I think. I think I would draw a lot of inspiration um, for my persona if we were wrestlers like that from Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That could be fun. Because where I'd, I'd think I'm a superhero and I'd be a speedster, people would be like, dude, you're not that fast. And I'd be like, oh, I am that fast. <laughs> I've just perfected my fast movement to the point where I look like I'm moving at regular speed. It is an optical illusion. <laughs> kind of like when he was like, I've mastered moving so slowly that it looks like I'm invisible, and he's just like <laughs> eating the fucking... <laughs> yeah. I can see that working. I love a good heel. I love yeah. a good, like, comical heel, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's the role I would play. Yeah, I could see that. That sounds good to me. Like, one guy that always used to... I, I used to find really entertaining back in the Attitude Era. Because he... He... Played the heel so well. He, he was so easily hateable. But I found him entertaining. Kurt Angle. I, I, yeah. I always enjoyed Kurt Angle. And, like, he absolutely played to the audience. In, in a way he of, definitely like... definitely did. Of, like, just 
trying to be at, at the biggest douchebag he possibly could. Yep. And uh, Chris Jericho used to do a good job with that as well. I loved Chris Jericho back when I actually used to follow wrestling. Y2J. Yeah, do you remember that whole event where, like, he put, like his introduction to uh, the WWE was, like, uh, played up with, with the Y2K Millennium Crisis and the Y2J... I'm going to have to Google that after and watch it. Yeah, because like back uh, when the year 2000 was coming, everyone was like, oh, there's going to be a big uh, global catastrophe and all of our computers and systems are going to go down. And they called it Y2K and everyone was like scared what was going to happen at midnight. And so he played that out with his own countdown to his introduction. And they just kept getting like these uh, promos of Y2J. And that was uh, the introduction of Chris Jericho to WWE. I remember it so well. And see, talking about Y2K and Chris Jericho and stuff like that, you're going to see, like, when we get into uh, one of our later discussions, you're going to see that that was around the time where I was big into wrestling. Oh, yeah. Because of the era we talk about. Yeah, definitely. Because that's really the only era I know at all. But I used to have a Chris Jericho shirt, and on the front it said... You know, it had, like, his silhouette, and it said Y2J, and on the back it said, Would you please shut the hell up? Yes. And Mom would mom took it away from me. She wouldn't let me wear it to school. Because uh, I, I was, like, 13 at the time. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I like in going back and looking at some of the wrestling, because we're going to... We have a wrestling segment plan, of course, which we'll get into after, but uh, going back through it a little bit, I tried to date myself and see exactly when I hopped on and off of wrestling, and as far as I can see, it was Survivor Series 1998, where I started, and, which was crazy because I was eight years old, uh, and then I would have hopped off sometime around, I'm thinking around 2004, something like that, and when I say hopped off, is I mean like... In that period of time, I watched every single episode of Raw and SmackDown, and every pay-per-view. I was a hardcore fan. I think I was pretty much in the same boat for not as long a period, but I was definitely, like, I didn't miss Raw or SmackDown. No, never, right? For a couple of years. Yeah. I was big into WCW when I was a kid. Yeah, actually. and that's the thing. Like I back in the days of NWO and the Wolfpack. Oakley, stop licking my face for fuck's sake. <laughs> I love you, but not now. Uh, he, he's the um, he's the third co-host of this podcast now. <laughs> um, he decided he wanted to jump up in my lap, and he's just like still in playtime mode. Yeah, and so he's yeah. like licking my face and like biting at my headphones, and oh, he's. Chewing on the pop filter. Of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Just speaking of heels. Yeah. Cheap, cheap fucker just headbutted me. Uh, with WCW, I like I never was fully an every episode guy or like like made an effort to tune in to WCW. But I in the days of the NWO and the Wolfpack, I was. I was more WCW than WWF at the time. Okay. Because that was before they transitioned into WWE. Yeah. To avoid that confusion. Yeah. But, um, yeah, back in those days, with the NWO and the Wolfpack, I was 
more of a WCW guy. Okay. And then when or when NWO uh, came to WWE, that kind of dragged me back into wrestling a little bit because okay. I had stopped watching for a yeah, while. Yeah, the whole. And then when I heard that they were back, I was like, "Fuck yes!" Yeah, the whole invasion storyline, right? Um, yeah, exactly. With Hollywood Hogan and Razor Ramon. And yep. Uh, fucking Kevin Nash. I used to catch, like, the odd episode of Nitro. Uh, a friend of mine who I was really good friends with at the time was the hardcore WCW guy. And nice. so I'd always catch it there. Either through reruns or, or what have you. But, like, there was a lot of, there was a lot of tempting talent over at WCW. Uh, even a- there was. even after WWF or WWE had stolen, like they they'd taken Big Show, they had taken Chris Jericho, uh, but like they still had at the time Booker T. Uh, I mean Goldberg, Goldberg exactly. Goldberg was such a big one for them. Sting, Sting was such a fucking good. Sting was my favorite yeah. back in the day. I think I think uh, Kevin Nash was the one that really did it for me over WCW. Uh, yeah, uh, Rey Mysterio before he made the jump. Yep, WCW had a lot more of the uh, Lucha Libre oh, inspired. Yeah. They had such guys. they had such a good cruiserweight division. Like they had Rey Mysterio, they had La Parca, yes. they had um, the Dragon guy, oh, Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, Ultimo Dragon was like yeah, Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio Jr. had some fucking phenomenal matches. I imagine they did with all the fucking acrobatics and aerials that those two were yeah, able to do. Yeah. Uh, they had Eddie Guerrero. They had Dean Malenko. Yeah, because they brought over the whole... Uh, that was one of the last ones before the Invasion storyline was the New Radicals. Dean Malenko, yep. uh, Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, and Chris Benoit. Yep. And yeah, that's another thing. They had Chris Benoit back in his, like... I think just before... Prime. Yeah, just before his prime because... I, th- I feel like Chris Benoit's real prime was his, uh, that short period in the WWE when he was, like, heavy... Champ. Like, yeah, he was, like, one of their main card guys. Yeah. But that's where Perry Saturn was in his prime, was WCW. Oh, yeah. That's before he lost his marbles, and, like, when they took him to WWE, uh, Perry Saturn played this insane character where, like... He had, like, the whole Moppy thing. Yeah, remember? yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Moppy. That was, that was fucked up. It was very like, fucked up. That was up. such a waste. Like, yeah. Perry Saturn was this big tattooed guy who had, like, the rings of Saturn, that signature yep. fucking mm-hmm. submission that has, if you've ever been put in, like, it actually fucking hurts. Yeah. Um, like, there was no reason to fucking toss him out in left field like that I guess but there we are Uh, so okay wait wait wait. quick I mean we're already on a big wrestling tangent here but this is like the whole point of the episode just to talk about these topics we've been wanting to get to Um, so we've mentioned Chris Jericho you mentioned the Rings of Saturn we mentioned Dean Malenko what's your favorite submission move because everyone had a submission move that like was their go to in terms of like like practicing home wrestling, every I mean every every kid that watched wrestling played wrestling with their friends. Did you have a submission? I used to I used to put my sister in the walls of Jericho a lot when we <laughs> would get in fights as kids. Yeah, yeah. 
like I was 13, she was 9, and we fought like cats and dogs, and I would put her in the walls of Jericho all the time. Yeah. Um, um the one that okay. Um, my older cousin used to put me in a lot was the figure four sharpshooter. Okay, yeah. The um, and like the the Bret Hart sharpshooter. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bret Hart sharpshooter. That was one of my go tos for sure. I thought that one was always really cool. Yeah. One that I always loved to watch, but I could never do it at home because I could never figure out the logistics of it, was the Ric Flair figure four. I kept, like, I, I tried it, and I could not figure out how it worked <laughs> as a kid. Um, there are a few, like, I'm thinking back on when I used to play uh, No Mercy on N64. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember back to, like, what some of the submission moves on that game were like the finisher submissions. Oh, uh, and I'm tr- Crippler Crossface. Tr- Crippler Crossface was good. Yeah. That was uh, Chris Benoit's, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. He had that one and he, that one was and he had the flying headbutt that he probably should not have ever done for, yeah. for obvious reasons. Uh, the Crossface was one of my favorites too. Yeah. But I probably got to say the walls of Jericho. Honestly, the one that I used to like was my go-to in terms of like home wrestling and and moves I could actually figure like like actually do properly was the Taz mission. The Taz mission. Yeah, I I. That's basically just a like flailing full Nelson. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But like, I think I think I kind of uh, like Taz was kind of a pudgy dude. And I think I kind yep. of related a little bit. And I was like... Taz was very short and stocky. Yeah. I was like, hey, it's a pudgy guy who is apparently very powerful. And his move looks e- like easy to copy. I'm going to I'm gonna stick to that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, now, Taz was pretty fun. He was, he was pretty short-lived before he went to announcer as well. Yeah. Okay. I think we got that out of our systems. <laughs> Um, Okay, let's move on to the last mailbag question Uh, And this is going to be fun Matt Pike, again, would like to know What is the worst fight scene you've ever seen in a movie or or TV? I don't think he specified, but you know The worst fight scene in a movie I've I've got one, it's not from a movie, it's from a TV show You go first, and then I'll... While I think on this. Okay, so... It's a Star Wars podcast. We're all about Star Wars. I've always preferred Star Wars to Star Trek. Um, Not to say Star Trek doesn't do some great stuff. In in terms of uh, the technology and the science and and some of the storylines, Star Trek is phenomenal. But their fight scenes can sometimes lack a little bit. And uh, when looking back through fight scenes for this, the one that just screams as, like, the worst fight scene I've ever witnessed is from the original Star Trek series. It's uh, Captain Kirk in a fist fight with an alien called Gorn. And it is just fucking amazingly funny. It's hilarious to watch, but, like, it is one of the worst fight scenes you will ever witness. Because William Shatner had no idea what he was doing. He was just 
making up what he thought were fight moves, and like he does the whole like he he grabs his hand together and does like a a double handed smack to the back thing that doesn't make any sense. The the axe handle smash. The axe handle smash, which I guess works in wrestling when it's done in a way that looks choreographed properly, but not when William Shatner just flails both his arms at the back of a guy in a rubber suit. Like, <laughs> like again, that Star Trek original series is my favorite Star Trek, but William Shatner, his his fighting abilities kind of uh, could have used some work, to say the least. Uh, yeah, that's that's my pick for that one. That is just by and far the worst. Um, I kind of want to say one of the fights from. See, there's so many. But one of the ones that bothers me the most is um, in the Dark Knight. Okay. When Christian Bale, Batman, is breaking up the drug deal between Scarecrow and the Chechen gangster. Yep. And, like, the way he comes out and he's, like, fighting the dudes with the AKs, like, his movement is so robotic and stiff and rigid, and it's, like, there's no way in an actual fight this dude with the AK wouldn't have had time to get a few shots off on him. Yeah, I hear you there. Like, they're basically just, like, standing there, like with their gun pointed at the ground waiting for Batman to robotically take down one guy and then they like slowly raise up their gun to give him time to like grab onto the barrel of the gun and use his like wince grip thing to twist the barrels like in like the two seconds it took his grip thing to like bend the barrel down you couldn't have like kicked at him or punched at him or anything (laughs) it's like he's just so robotic and then like we have fight scene we have like Batman in the um Batman for Superman in that warehouse when he's going to save Clark's mom. Like how fluid his movement was and how he was all over the place and how fast paced it was. That's how Batman is supposed to fight. Yeah, exactly. The dude's like a master of all these different forms of martial arts and yet in the Dark Knight, like that, he's very rigid and not, like, very like. Uh, he looks like a fucking rock'em sock'em robot. <laughs> and like, no wonder Bane was able to kick his ass in the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just realized something we haven't mentioned at all. Uh, What's that? To the listeners. Everything may sound a little clearer than it usually does, and that's because we're using a different recording technique today. Uh, we're finally trying something new, trying to improve things yeah. for you guys. We're trying We're trying to get better. I mean, it doesn't take much to make this better, but <laughs> we're trying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, well... When, when the bar is set this low, 
anything, any little effort. Yeah. Seems huge. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, this worked out, and what you're hearing is is uh, hopefully our, our new standard. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully this isn't just like the one time we sounded good. Uh, <laughs> that's almost <laughs> that's almost worst. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's it for the mailbag, I guess. Although I'm gonna throw my uh, throw my hat in the ring here for worst fight scene, I just remembered that Street Fighter the movie exists, so maybe there's oh my god, there's probably something in there. I haven't watched it in a while. Um, but on the other end of things, uh, segueing perfectly in here because uh, Matt asked a perfectly fitting question, we actually chose today to do our top three fight scenes for movies. The other end of it, yes, we did. What we think are the best fight scenes. Uh, yep. This was, this was a hard list to narrow down. It was. Like, so, the way I approached it was, like, I didn't necessarily pick what I thought were, like, the most technical, the most, like, who... I picked the fight scenes that... I picked one that gets me emotionally every time I watch it. Okay. And I picked two out of, like, the plethora of fight scenes that, like, even if I'm not in the mood to watch that particular movie, sometimes I get in the mood to just, like, pull up this fight scene on YouTube and just watch the fight scene by itself. That's fair. So, um, Uh, my number three pick... Oh. My number three pick is an emotional one, and uh, my top two... Are ones that I continually watch on YouTube. Okay. And there was, there was one that was also a very there, were, yeah, there was one that was a very good honorable mention as well. Nice. Uh, I'm just gonna say I've got like the least traditional list here. Um, nice. I have everything I have is from the 2000s onward. I have nothing prior to that. Nothing from the yeah. from the nineties or older, and I know like, I guess it's a little blasphemous. No, there's no Bruce Lee in here, uh, nothing like that. There's none of the the classic, uh, but I went with stuff that I just personally enjoyed the most. Um, some of them from some of my my favorite movies ever. Just just fight scenes that I could watch over and over again for one reason or another, and mostly because they're fun. Because generally with any entertainment, I just like something that's fun uh, as, as simple as that sounds uh, there's one of mine that I was thinking like hmm maybe Ryan might have this on his top three list as well okay but we'll see okay uh, who's starting this one I'm gonna kick this one off okay go for it I'm not gonna get too in depth into my number three pick because you still haven't seen this movie and I really want you to watch it but for uh number three i picked the climactic fight between brendan and tommy in the movie warrior oh really yeah oh okay it's a well it's a pretty well done mma fight scene like in a cage everything like that and just like 
these two brothers who haven't seen each other in years, like, coming together in the cage and fighting each other, like, each fighting for a different reason. Like, just, uh, the way it ends and everything that goes into it and the build-up to it, it's very emotional and my eyes are seldom dry after watching this. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, that's Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton? Yes, sir. That's, like, the main reason I wanted to watch this movie, and it's been just sitting there waiting for me to watch for a while now. Uh, The cast sounds amazing. Yeah. The two of them, plus um, Frank Grillo's in it, Nick Nolte's in it. Oh, Frank Grillo's in that, really? Yeah, Frank Grillo plays one of the trainers. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I love Frank Grillo. He's not in enough. Yeah. No, this movie's fantastic. And actually, Kurt Angle's in this movie. Really? Yep. <laughs> okay, okay. That might be that might be what gets me to watch it. Cycling back to Kurt Angle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so are we you you're going through all three of yours first or are we going I, back and forth? I'm here? gonna go through all three of mine first. Okay. Um, go for it. My number two pick I actually chose a fight scene from The Expendables 2. Okay. Over my honorable mention, which was from the first Expendables. Yep. And both of those picks involve Jason Statham. Of course. My honorable mention, like, I almost put this as number two, was the scene from the first Expendables movie where Jason Statham goes to the basketball court and puts the beat down on the guys because Buddy hit, hit the woman. Love that fight scene. I've watched it so many times on YouTube. It's one of my own. I, I forgot well, about that. Yeah. But I went with the scene between Jason Statham and Scott Adkins from The Expendables 2. Ooh. Uh, I haven't seen the second one. I saw the first one, and it was on a night shift years ago. So, like, it's a little fuzzy, but I do remember that basketball court scene. Yep. Um, I have not seen the sequels. Well, I mean, basically, like, you know who Scott Adkins is? Yeah, I know the name. What do I know that name? He, uh, he's in the, was it Boyka series, the kickboxing movies? There's like four of them. Oh, okay. The dude does a lot of stunts, a lot of fight scenes. Uh, he played one of the, um, one of Mads Mikkelsen's disciple guys in Doctor Strange. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Anyway. I know the guy. Um, this fight scene between two of the best martial arts actors currently going, like, outside yeah. of, you know, Asian markets. Yep. And these guys are just, like, going at it and going at it, and then they're fighting next to a helicopter in a hangar, and the fight scene ends... With Jason Statham wearing two sets of brass knuckles, and he literally punches Scott Adkins so his head goes into the tail rotor of a helicopter, and his head just splatters. Awesome. It's like, a nice, nice sort of uh, Indiana Jones callback. A oh, bit. yeah. It is one yeah. of the coolest ends to a fight scene I've ever seen. Just like these two guys, they're punching, they're kicking, they're throwing, they're stabbing... And then it just ends with a dude's head getting punched into helicopter blades. Nice. And I love it. 
Yeah. <laughs> and my number one, like the my favorite fight scene of all time, which is one that I thought might make your list. Okay. From Kill Bill Volume 1, The Bride versus The Crazy 88. Nice. Good pick. That fight scene is so bloody and so well choreographed. It really is. And, I mean, who doesn't love a fight scene where it's like one versus many? Exactly, right? And Uma Thurman was such a badass in those movies. Like, I love Kill Bill. Those movies are great. But the best part of both of those movies for me is her just hacking up the crazy 88 like the acrobatics like just oh like running up the fucking rails on the stairs and just all the shit in that scene is so good and and the way it switches from color to black and white and silhouettes and yeah yeah oh yeah like just everything about that scene like the different like styles the animation like just choreography it's fantastic like it's a nice. it's a blood fest yeah and I die for it yeah solid solid list oh yeah like um, I could watch those three fight scenes on YouTube right now yeah and I actually I like I uh, I went back and made sure to rewatch everything on my list and rewatching them really helps cement like yes this is definitely my top 3. Yep. Uh so I'll just going to I'll just kick mine off now. Uh my number 3 was a Jason Statham movie, but weirdly enough Jason Statham is not in this fight. Nice. Uh my number 3 is from the movie Snatch. Ooh. Uh, Brad Pitt's Mickey in the very first fight, the introduction, I love that fight to fucking death. Uh, and I saw that fight long before I ever saw the movie because my dad is obsessed with this movie and with the character of Mickey. So if you haven't seen the movie, uh, Brad Pitt plays this skinny little um, Britishman who is basically playing a Newfoundlander in the way he does his accent and the way he does the character. Um uh, so he actually sorry I said British he's Irish I'm pretty sure um so you see he's known as One Punch Mickey and he's facing I guess the 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 local tough guy who's like twice his height twice his size and that guy is just tossing him around in this bare knuckle fight and Mickey's just sort of cracking his neck taking off his jacket just slowly you know preparing himself for the fight and he makes a couple little like shots at him like just a couple little uh, verbal jabs and then as soon as he's ready bam one punch and the big guy's down and I fucking love that fight like it's so short and sweet and simple but it's it just stands out as one of the best fights I've ever seen in a movie nice um I like the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes fight where he like breaks it down scientifically like box the yes. ears that yeah. fight's good it's- um there's a lot of good fights in uh 
that Jason Statham have in the Transporter movies as well. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, the fire, the, the the fire hose one or something like that is a water hose. I, I forget what yeah. it is he's using. He's, use, he's using a hose of some sort. That one always stood out to me. Um, and another one that just comes to mind is there's a really good fight in I think it's the first Jason Bourne movie. Nice. And it takes place in like a bathroom or something. Like not not on the list, but just fights that kind of stand out as like I I like whenever they try something different and they do it well. There's um there's a fight in one of the animated Resident Evil movies, like the newest one. Is it uh, okay. Vendetta? Okay. Yeah. That um I really like. It's Chris and Leon in a hallway full of zombies, and nice. just like. I'm pretty sure what they did is they used, like, mocap for a okay. lot of this fight scene. But just, like, it's not just them, like, stood there just, like, keeping their distance, shooting the zombies. No, like, these guys are, like, up close and personal with the zombies and, like, mm. like pinning, to, like, tripping the zombies up and, like, putting two of their heads, like, stacking them one on top of the other so they can take both of them out with one bullet. And... Yeah. Like, oh my god, it is a fantastic it's, scene. It's great when they manage to mix gunplay into a well-choreographed martial arts scene. Well, there's a specific martial art that that's called that Leon okay. is supposed to be an expert in. Okay, that, yeah. like, when after they recruited him for the Secret Service after the incidents of Raccoon City... Like, yeah. they trained him in this specific martial art, and he became an expert at it. And I can't yeah. remember what it's called okay. off See, the top of my head I, right now. There was there was something that almost made the list, but I wasn't sure if the entire movie John Wick counted as a scene. It kind of is. It, it's <laughs> one extended. It's, but you know how, like, John Wick holds his pistol, like, sideways, really close to his body, doing those shots and, like, getting super up close yeah. and personal? with them yep. and like shooting them directly in the face yeah like, yeah that is basically what leon and chris are doing with the zombies in okay this scene and that it's nice. one of the martial arts that john wick is proficient in yeah. as well john wick is excellent too um i need to rewatch john wick oh i i love i, I still haven't seen the second one. Second one's good it's it's really good i enjoyed the first one a little more though um uh, the I'm gonna mention the honorable mention that did not make my list, but was very close. It was also a very recent movie, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. The uh, the fight scene in the desert where uh, Max is f- fighting Furiosa. So you've got a one armed Charlize Theron fighting a Tom Hardy who is chained to an unconscious man who at some point wakes up and there there's so many props used there it's just a really well choreographed fight really enjoyed that one fuck um, yeah so uh speaking of john wick my number two is a different keanu reeves uh obviously we're going to the matrix here um which is definitely not something that would normally make a top fight scenes list because it's so sci-fi yeah. But that fight scene in the subway in the very first movie where it's just Neo versus Agent Smith towards the and end. Yeah. Yeah, that 
that fucking subway scene and like the way that they used practical effects to get some of those things that would normally be CGI. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Like uh the impacts of of like the the walls cracking beneath their weight and just that combination of like uh cool sci-fi effects, gunplay and actual martial art choreography is fucking brilliant. I love that fight scene. Oh, that was very nearly on my list as well. Yeah. And it wasn't on my initial list on, and then I rewatched it and was like, okay, yeah, that I have to put that one in there. Um and my number 1 we fully agree on this. It's the bride versus the crazy 88 man. Like Really? Yeah, from the, from the get-go. This this was the first thing that popped in my head when we talked about fight scenes. And it is always it has always been my favorite fight scene and it will always be my number 1. See, I when I put this on my list, I was like it has to be this. And I just had a strong feeling that you were going to include it as well. Oakley dude, it's not playtime <laughs> right now. Um yeah, like, I, I've i always been a big Tarantino fan, and, like, uh, not gonna get into the pol- politics, he's become a little problematic, but, like, his movies, his th- he makes great movies, and, like... He does. Kill Bill, uh, this scene in particular, I think for a lot of people is, like, the thing they know the most from Tarantino. When yeah. When a lot of people think of Tarantino, they think of, like, the, the blood fountains spurting out of people's severed limbs and shit like that, right? Fuck yeah! Uh, this this scene is just so fucking good. The whole movie and like, I th- I thought about it and like, um, there's a lot of fight scenes that I think if I was gonna make a top ten, I think more Kill Bill might find its way in there, because the bride versus Oren Ishii at the end of that movie. Yep. Uh the kitchen phenomenal. fight scene too between the bride and uh, it's Vivica A. Fox's character, yeah, isn't it? I, She's so brief in the movie, I always forget the character's name. But it's still but a yeah. fantastic scene. Oh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Fuck yeah. So, yeah, that's our list. We actually... Uh, we we agree Com- on that one. Completely I think agree. I'm, uh, I don't know if we ever named the same number one on a list before. Did we ever do that? Uh, I don't think so. Except for, like, maybe when we were, like ranking something with a very limited pool like the Netflix Marvel series even then we no you know what uh, we both agreed on Deadpool being the best of the X-Men movies yeah there you go um so uh, I don't have anything else to touch on there with the fight scenes nope that was really fun to get into oh was it ever Uh, and that's definitely a a, a topic we can come back to sometime in terms of just talking about our favorite action movies because there's there's so many there's such a wide genre to touch on oh my god yes uh so the uh the next thing we're going to get into is the topic of fighting games yeah uh, which i've talked about a few times i'm i'm a big lover of fighting video games yeah fighting Um, games is much more your wheelhouse than mine but in terms of uh, what we're doing today, because we got into a big tangent on fighting games in our E3 episode, 
Yep. And I feel like we've really touched on everything in terms of which games are our favorites and and so on, which franchises. But what we're going to do today, something we haven't done in a while, is we're going to fan cast uh, some characters from fighting games. So uh, if you're not big on fan casting, stick with it. We won't be too long at this, but uh, we're just going to take any three characters from a fighting game and cast who we think should play them in a movie or a TV show or what have you. Yep. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick this off. Uh, I'm interested. I was wondering, I was like, what fighting game is Ryan going to choose? Because I know what games tend to be your favorite. And I was like, is he going to do this game? And if so, what characters... Is he gonna do? Oh, I see. You you took it as uh, one game. Well, I I chose all three of my characters from one game. I I actually chose. Uh, you chose. I actually chose th- three games. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, because I I came up with three castings in particular from three different series, so I just stuck with it. Sure. Um, first one, a uh, pretty local guy, actually. I believe he's from Nova Scotia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and as soon as I say the actor's name, I feel like the character is going to come right to you. Are you familiar with a guy named Robert Maillet? No. Okay, he's a big guy from Nova Scotia. He was in... Oh, let me see. He was in um, 300. He was in Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr. movie. Uh, he was in Deadpool 2. He used to wrestle under the name Kurgan. Back in the Attitude Era. Let me have a look at him. You probably recognize him if you looked him up. Anyway, I think he would be a dead ringer for Zangief from Street Fighter. I th- I could see it perfectly. I think he's got the size. He's got the physicality. Uh, I've seen him in movies. I think he could. he's good enough at acting to play the part. Uh, see if he's the guy I'm thinking of. Sherlock. How do you spell his name? I was just going to Google uh, Sherlock Holmes. First name, Robert. Last name, Maya. M-A-I-L-L-E-R. Oh, I found him. Yeah. Tell yeah, me that guy's not a fucking that- dead ringer for Zangief. That's the guy I was thinking as soon as you yeah. said, like, from Sherlock Holmes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's got that big fight in the first one, I think. Yeah, where uh, yeah. it's around the shipyard, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's the guy I would cast as Zangief in a Street Fighter movie. Who the hell else would I cast in that movie? I don't know. That's, See, I assumed that's... you were going to go all Street Fighter. I thought about it, but, like... A lot of those characters are meant to be Asian, and I couldn't think of the right actors for it, so I didn't go with it. I, I wouldn't like. I wouldn't. Uh, I spe- I, I, like with whitewashing controversies and stuff these days. I I feel like some of them, like you could you could switch around the nationalities of maybe some of them, but like at least Ryu should probably not be white. Maybe no, God no. Uh, you know, uh, but anyway, that, that's all aside. I just I had two other castings I thought were fun, so I went with them. Sure. Um, second one is from Tekken. Nice. Uh, 
I would like to see Michael B. Jordan from Black Panther uh, play Eddie Gordo. I feel like he could nail Eddie Gordo. If you remember him from, uh, I think, Tekken 3 is, is where I know him best. He's the, the capoeira guy who's always, like, standing on oh, his I'm hands and I'm familiar with Eddie Gordo. Yeah, you know Gordo, right? Gordo was so much fun. He was my favorite to play as in Tekken See, 3. when you said Tekken and Michael B. Jordan, I thought you were going to say, uh, what's his name, Raven. Okay, The yeah. ninja guy who came in in, like, Tekken 4 or 5? Hmm. Okay, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. That's who I thought you were going to say. But... Yeah, it makes sense. I would just like to see, like, Eddie Gordo in a Tekken movie. Or a TV show or whatever. You know who I think would be a good person to play Eddie Gordo? Yeah. Is, uh, what's his name? The guy who just played Bushmaster in Luke Cage Season 2. Oh, shit. Yeah, that would work, too. Um... I feel like Michael B. Jordan would have the right combination of acting skills, uh, fighting, choreography. Yeah, yeah he's definitely got and, the physicality for it. Yeah. And I feel like, like I've never seen it. I've never witnessed it. But I just, I have this hunch that Michael B. Jordan probably knows how to dance. Just He just seems like the kind of guy who probably dances. Yeah. You know? He seems like Plus, a fun, he's a big... He seems like a fun he, guy like that. Yeah, plus he's a big fucking geek, so he probably plays Tekken. Uh, yeah. So he's probably probably played his fair share. I know, like, Michael B. Jordan is, like, a huge Naruto fan and, like, watches all his anime and shit. Uh, so, who knows? Maybe he's, He may like or may not role. listen to this podcast. Oh, yeah, I bet he does. I'm sure <laughs> Michael B. Jordan, star of Black Panther, is sitting at home in his mansion in L.A. or wherever it is and listening to Jedi Dropouts. <laughs> yep. He's one of our 15 devoted listeners. <laughs> um, and lastly, I think this casting would maybe piss off a lot of people, but I think it is perfect casting. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Johnny Cage should be played by Tom Cruise. Yeah. And, and my reasoning is, I think Tom Cruise is actually Johnny Cage. Um, if you if like if you paid attention to the story of Mortal Kombat, Johnny Cage is just an action movie star. That's that's what he is. Yep. But somehow he thinks he's confident enough to be like, yeah, I can fight in this tournament with with superhuman beings and win. Which, that's Tom Cruise. He's, he's just an actor, but he's like... He's basically Hercule. Yeah, exactly. Like, Tom Cruise, even though he's just an actor, is like, yeah, I'll climb on the side of a skyscraper. I can do that, because I am an action star. And, like, I feel like with, with Mortal Kombat, if you just casted Tom Cruise in the role and was like, hey, dude, you're going to fight in a tournament to the death with these superhumans. Don't even tell him he's in a movie. He'd be like, yeah, I'm on it. Sure. And then you'd get, Jesus. like, the best Johnny Cage ever. Yep. Because he's he's basically the same person. Yeah. He's basically, like, you know, uh, he's basically, like, like an American Conor McGregor, really. Fuck. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is he's, he's, he's the most arrogant thing in the universe. Yeah. 
really? an American I mean, Conor McGregor? Like, fuck sakes. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there is. I don't think there are enough states to contain the size of that ego. Nope. Um, uh, but uh, I just want to backtrack for a second here, and just because I'm fan casting Tom Cruise, and I actually kind of enjoy some Tom Cruise movies, I am aware Tom Cruise is is a big piece of shit. He's a terrible person, and I do not support that human being. I just want to say that. Yeah. F- fuck Tom Cruise, but like, I mean, Mission Impossible is pretty good, so. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag Jedi dropouts. Hashtag fuck Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Get that trending. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you got for your uh, your video game fan um, castings here? I went with a game that, to my knowledge, has not been made into a movie yet. Okay. But it's probably my favorite fighting game series, because it's the one I'm best at. I went with Soul Calibur. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I kind of copped out on one of them. Because okay. when I think Soul Cal, the first character that comes to mind is Nightmare. Okay. And I just casted Tony Todd as the voice of Nightmare. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because Nightmare is going to be mostly CG anyway. Well, yeah. But I feel like you get away with a lot of CGI in... Uh, a Soul Calibur movie. Yeah. But I definitely thought Tony Todd's just, like, iconic, deep, like, menacing voice would be perfect for Nightmare. Yeah. Um, how well do you know the characters in this game? Pretty good. Like, it's, okay. been, a, it's been a minute since I, I played it, but, uh... Back in, I want to say, 2011, that area, I I had a period where I played Soul Calibur 4 a fuck ton. Okay, good, because I used the characters' appearances in Soul Cal 2 and 4 okay, as the basis okay. of my casting. Okay, so I, I got a, a rough idea what you're talking about here. Okay, so for number 2, I casted probably my most played character, yep. Maxi. Okay. Okay, that's fair. And I thought Louis Tan would be great as Maxi. Oh, Louis Tan is phenomenal. Um, uh, I mean, best known for what? What is Louis Tan best known for at this point? Well, one of the most recent things I saw him in was the drunken boxing scene in Iron Fist season one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Maxi is a pirate from Shanghai. Yep. And Louis Tan's father is Chinese. Okay, okay, yep. So, you know, I I thought that worked there. Makes sense. Because I actually... Because, like you said, with the whitewashing and with, like... There's been a lot of controversies lately about, you know... People not casting the appropriate people and stuff like that. And... yeah. You know, like, sometimes I think people go a little too far with that outrage. Sometimes it's very well-placed. Like, you know, whitewashing, I I get that. But sometimes, in certain circumstances, I do think people take it a little too far. But in this case, I wanted, like, I didn't want to just, like, cast someone being like, 
oh, they're Asian, so they could play someone from Korea. Like, no, if, yeah, if I'm going to yeah. cast a character who is Korean, I'm going to cast a Korean actor. So I looked into it and made sure that Louis Tan was of at least partially Chinese descent. Okay, yeah. And that's why when I cast Mitsurugi, who is probably one of the most iconic Soul Calibur characters, yeah. I made sure that I cast someone of uh, Japanese descent. I had a character in mind, like, from the get-go. And so I did a quick bit of Google, like, and I mean very quick, because I just popped his name into Google, and, like, the first line of his bio is... You know, that he was born in Japan. Yeah. And that's why I thought Brian T. would be perfect as Mitsurugi. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Brian T., uh, he played the Shredder in the second um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, the one where uh, Stephen Amell played Casey Jones. Okay, yeah. Yep. He also. Out of the shadows, right? Yeah. He also played. Yeah. Um, one of the guards who was trying to track down the Indominus Rex in Jurassic World. He was... Um, okay, yeah, yeah. He was Captain Hamada on... Was it Hamada or Harada? I can't remember. I'd have to Google that. But he was the yeah. leader of the team that they sent out into the jungle to try and track the Indominus Rex when they found out that it was able to camouflage itself and it had torn out its tracker and like left it there as a little like decoy when it yeah, set the trap yeah. on them. He was the leader of that yes. team. Yeah. But, like, he can do action. He's, like, a big, imposing, but not, like, you know, gargantuan-sized Japanese man. And he looks very stern, very serious, very intense. And I think that would be perfect for a samurai like Mitsurugi. Yeah. That that sounds all great to me. Yeah. Um, I just thought okay, we're gonna take a, a little tangent here on on fighting game movies. Us take so, a tangent? No way. Yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> um, so, like, they have made movies and TV shows based on fighting games in the past. Yes. Uh, what would you say is the best casting that's ever been done in that? area best casting yeah honestly one of the Which... first ones that comes to mind in terms of best yep. casting in a fighting game based movie yep. is kylie minogue's cami in street fighter okay yeah yeah that works i've got i've got two specific ones because there are two movies based on the two biggest fighting game franchises of all time uh, that I don't think are very good movies, uh, but each one I thought had one character perfectly cast. Some of the casting in Mortal Kombat wasn't bad. Yeah, I, in Mortal Kombat, the guy who played Kano was perfect. Yeah. He was absolutely perfect. Uh, and I really like Kano. He's, a, he's, a, he's sort of an underrated Mortal Kombat character. Um, and the other one... From the Street Fighter movie, which was fucking horrendous. I actually like Raul Julia as M. Bison. Yeah. 
I, 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 I really like Raul Julia, and I thought he was one of the high points of what is kind of an unbearable movie to watch. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, have, I know, that just popped in my head. Have you watched any of Mortal Kombat Legacy? I have not, and I've heard such good things. I have it here on DVD, and you should definitely borrow it sometime. Um, let me see. I just got to pull up something real quick. Because uh, I remember there was some casting in that that I thought was pretty good. And I just got to yeah. double check just to make sure I'm not horribly mistaken on this. Uh, <laughs> Jedi Dropout's giving false information. No way. We would never do that. We, we would never misquote something. No, <laughs> sir. Never, ever. Um, oh, Brian T. was Liu Kang in oh, okay. Mortal Kombat nice. Legacy as well. There you go. Yeah, okay, I was I was right. Um, Michael J. White plays Jax in... Oh, that's, that's good casting. It is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I always forget about Jax. Yeah, but he was great. I also really like um, what they did with Baraka in... Mm. Oh, yeah, in the second movie, right? In, um... No, Mortal Kombat Legacy. Oh, in Legacy? Okay. Yeah, um... Rather than having him be this... Was it Mortal Kombat Legacy or was it a web series that I saw? But Baraka, instead of being a demon, basically... An otherworldly, unhuman thing was just a psychopath that was obsessed with body mods. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that makes sense. had yeah. like, like all the like subdermal like implants and stuff like that, and like the silicone balls implanted in his face and all over his body, and all kinds of tattoos everywhere, teeth filed, and had uh, blades surgically implanted into his arm. Huh. Yeah. I thought that was really cool and outside the box. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Now I want to watch Mortal Kombat Legacy. Nice. Know what I'm doing tonight after I take the dog for a walk. <laughs> uh, so I guess uh, that's, that's all I've got to say about that area. The fan casting section? Yes. Yes. Okay, so the last one, and honestly, I think the one that I'm most excited to get to here. Uh, of course, we got to talk about professional wrestling for a little while here. Yep. And I'm glad we're cycling back to professional wrestling because while we've been talking, after our initial discussion about like what we would do as wrestlers, yeah, like I've been brainstorming this entire time, like. <laughs> what my ring attire would look like. Yeah. And I think it would look like... It would be very much inspired by The Flash and Lucha Libre. Okay, yeah. Like, be like... Yeah, it'd be very much inspired by those two things. Maybe a bit of Deadpool in there somewhere. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh... I really like the old school um, leotard get up. 
maybe maybe with sort of the, like the the shirts with like like the tank style ones though. Nice. Uh, back in the day when they used to wear like they would have the big boots and and the pants with like trunks over the pants and uh, maybe some kind of design going down through the leg. That whole get up, those were like I always loved those days. Um, but instead of going with like uh, I mean we we could have went with our favorite wrestlers or our favorite uh, moves, finishing moves like we talked about. Yeah, uh, we decided to go with our top three wrestling matches of all time, um, which got me on quite the nostalgic trip here this past week like I went to look at highlights of matches and I ended up just watching entire matches because they were just so fucking good um uh, before we get into it I before we get into the whole wrestling thing I just want to quickly mention uh of course there is a trend in in professional wrestling with uh guys at Wrestlers dying much, much too soon, dying at a pretty young age, due to uh, the the effects that wrestling has had on their health, and in a lot of cases, drugs, of course, is a way too common a story. Uh, so I just want to quickly shout out a couple wrestlers that we've lost this year: um, Big Van Vader. Bruno Sammartino and most recently Jim the Anvil Neidhart all lost this year. All absolute fucking legends. Yep. Uh, it's sad, but hopefully in the future we see less of that because it seems like they've finally caught on and, and cut back on this, this drug thing. Hopefully. Hopefully that is a story that we see uh, in the years to come. Uh, of course, it's probably going to be a little while because right now is when you're seeing a lot of these, like, the guys who, I mean, they're all, a lot of them are only in their 50s and 60s, and that's when they're, they're, they're dropping just because their heart can't take it anymore. Well, uh, I mean, a lot of the steroids that they're yeah. encouraged to take can lead to uh, cardiac issues. Yeah. Plus, all, like, a lot of them, the wear and tear they put their bodies through during the matches takes its toll. Plus, a lot of them ended up uh, addicted to painkillers to cope with the wear and tear on their bodies due to all the matches and, like, hitting each other with chairs and putting each other through tables and stuff like that. And, like... Yeah. It takes its toll, and I sometimes don't think that these people are respected enough for what they put themselves through f- just for our entertainment. No, exactly. Um, but I do think, I, I, from what I can tell, the WWE in particular has made great strides forward in terms of cutting the shit out. Which is um, fantastic. Like That's yeah. the kind of thing like I hope to see from like the NFL when it comes to head trauma. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know, I don't know much about it. I haven't read that far into it, but I do know that for the longest time, in particular, the Hardy Boys and Kurt Angle were, they were, they were 
sort of blacklisted from the uh, from from the WWE because they didn't uh, adhere to the the regulations and and their 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 drug testing. Okay. Uh, and I know that it was like uh, I know I know Jeff uh, Jeff Hardy has had painkiller issues for years and uh, Matt Hardy has been on and off with a lot of stuff. Uh, but all three of those guys are now in the WWE again, and I hope I hope that means that it's c- caused them to clean up their act and and finally kick this stuff. I hope so. I hope that's what it means. I hope it doesn't mean the opposite and that the WWE has just stopped caring again. Yeah, I hope that it's because these guys have cleaned up their act instead of the company yeah. getting more lax. Exactly. That's that's where I'm hoping it is, but, I mean, I guess we won't know until it all comes out in the wash anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I just wanted to throw in a quick nod to those guys, uh, Vader, San Martino, and... Neidhart, R.I.P. Uh, again, absolute legends of professional wrestling. Uh, so, with all that aside, you want to get into the top three matches? Um, who's kicking this one off? I will. Okay. Uh, you okay. went first for the last one. Yep. Okay, uh... Uh, first things first, how many of your mar- matches are Attitude Era? What are... What years did the Attitude Era fall under? Because uh, I'm pretty sure the answer is all three. Yeah. Uh, that's like one of mine. I'm not positive. Because uh, I don't know when, what, what you would, would constitute the When beginning. did the Attitude Era end? And I think most people consider... The uh, the big The Rock versus Stone Cold WrestleMania, the final match of Stone Cold's career. I think a lot of people consider that to be the end of the Attitude Era. Okay. Um, but that's like 2004 ish, something like that. I'm not positive. I know it's it's kind of loose. Yeah. But uh, chances are, if you've got an Attitude Era wrestler in the match, then it constitutes Attitude Era. Unless you're looking at, like, you know, I mean, Undertaker was wrestling up until just a couple years ago, so. Yeah. But, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see it as it goes. Yeah, chances are all these matches are Attitude Era because, I mean, it was a popular time, uh, considered by many to be one of the greatest periods of wrestling. Uh, and, like, like we said, it, all your matches are WWE, WWF, right? Yeah. Not to say that they're the be-all, end-all of wrestling, but as much as we're, like, we have been long-time fans, uh, like, we don't go that deep, I guess, Yeah. in terms of, like, like I've never watched any uh, New Japan wrestling or TNA, I've never really watched any of that stuff. No, um, and if anyone out there... Like, if I make a mistake on the year or the event that these matches took place at, you know, feel free to correct okay. me. Um, yep. You know, I no way claim to be an expert on professional wrestling. But uh, my number three 
favorite match, which I remember watching live on pay-per-view at the Port Club. Yep, of course. I remember when this happened. Uh, Steve Blackman versus Shane McMahon at SummerSlam 2000. Oh, nice. I remember a... watching it at the Port Club, and I, I remember the point where... Like, Steve Blackman chased Shane McMahon up the rigging with that mm-hmm. kendo stick and whacked him, and Shane McMahon just, like, dropped. Yeah. I thought Shane McMahon was dead. Like, me being yeah. 13 years old at the time, watching it live on pay-per-view, I was sat there, like, mouth agape, like, holding my bag of ketchup chips in my hand. I thought Shane McMahon was dead. I was yeah. like, there's no way he survived that. But, like, Test and Albert coming out and trying to interfere and Steve Blackman putting them down. And, like, that match was probably the reason why when I first started playing um, No Mercy on the N64, like, the very first match I played, the first character I used was Steve Blackman. Yeah. Because I thought, like... Like, he was a karate guy, and he was the hardcore champ, and I just thought Steve Blackman was the shit back in those days. Like, I thought he was a badass. Like, other people were like, Stone Cold, The Rock. I was like, no, Steve Blackman. Man, (laughs) uh, those two are are both sort of underappreciated Attitude Era guys. Yep. Because on one side of it, I mean, Steve Blackman was in a very small portion of guys who, like, they never really got their chance to shine as a top contender, but they were consistently, like, just absolute badasses in the ring. Yep. Steve Blackman, like, I, I, like, he doesn't get the cred that, or, or the fame of, like you said, Stone Cold and The Rock and those guys, but, like... He was always there, and he was always fucking good at what he did. Oh my um, god, yes. Another guy, another guy, two guys that actually that come to mind in that regard are the Acolytes, Bradshaw and Farouk. Like, Bradshaw got his before, chance to shine. As, before as a, JBL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, Bradshaw got his time to shine, but, like, I never felt like uh, Farouk, Ron Simmons, really got a chance to to play at that top tier. Yeah. When, when he really was a fucking solid wrestler. And Shane McMahon, like, has anyone, <laughs> like, like he, he really is probably, like, okay, besides Mick Foley, obviously, has anyone else in that era put their body on the line so many fucking times? Like, he was really up there with guys who just would risk it all. Like... When you think of wrestlers who put their bodies through hell, yeah, like most people think like Jeff Hardy or Mick Foley or Terry Funk, but when you think of Shane McMahon, most people just think, oh, Vince McMahon's son, fucking rich kid. Yeah. But Shane yeah. McMahon took a beating throughout his career. Who was he fighting? Uh, was it Kane? When he went uh, turnbuckle to turnbuckle, that whole fucking thing. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, that was fucking. That was fucking. I can't was remember. Who, I remember he was fighting. 
I remember he was fighting someone huge. I feel like it was Kane. I could be wrong there. But, but going turn like how many wrestlers in their career have gone turnbuckle to turnbuckle? Fucking few and far between, man. Exactly. That is yeah. a feat of athleticism. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but speaking of someone putting their body on the line. Yep. My number two match of all time, Undertaker and Mankind, King of the Ring, 1998. Yep. Uh, that Hell in a Cell match? I'm just going to say this now. Uh, I won't wait. I won't hold the suspense. This is the second time this episode me and you have played something exactly the same spot. <laughs> nice. That was my, that's my number two as well. Like, Mick Foley going off the top of the cage through the announcer's table oh, man. through the cage itself like yeah holy shit I, I'm gonna throw this in there uh, and I've it's not the first time and won't be the last that I recommend this podcast uh, The Wizard and the Bruiser again they recently did an episode on Mick Foley himself his whole career his whole life and uh, they were talking about this particular match and he convinced uh, I'm guessing McMahon and the bookers that uh, he could go off the top because he lied to them and told them that he had been up on top of the cage that very day and he felt totally comfortable and safe with it. But he was lying out of his ass and the second in the match when he gets up on top of the cage, when you watch it... It starts to buckle. Yeah, and he's fucking like... He, he, in his head, is like, oh, fuck, this is such a bad idea. Um, and you can see him, he gets a little bit cautious there, because he knows that, oh, fuck, I made a mistake. I should never have decided to do this. Yep. Uh, and, like, I prefer this one to the Mankind Rock match, the I Quit match. Yeah. Because this one is a little less ugly. It's yeah. a little easier to watch. That the I Quit match went fucking too far. Well, um, did you ever see the documentary about Mick Foley and the part where it shows his wife during that yeah. I Quit match? Uh, I know what you're talking about. This is behind the mat, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. The part that... where it focuses on Mick Foley's wife and her reaction during that I Quit match. Yeah. The woman was hysterical. She was in tears. Like, she was yeah. unconsolable. She was convinced her husband was going to die. Yeah. Uh, he, like... Might as well get my, my little bit about Mick Foley out here at the same time. Let's just talk about this. Mick Foley is one of the greatest of all time. Oh, hands down. I feel, I feel like he would be in contention for the single greatest of all time. Like, everything he lacked in technical skill, he had in heart and soul. I don't think there's ever been a wrestler who loved wrestling as much as Mick Foley. Yeah. Um, famously, there's a picture online of uh, the match that inspired him. Um, Jimmy Superfly Snuka cage match. I forget who he was fighting, but he jumped off of the top cage I think he just did like a, a body slam or something but this is the first time anyone had really gone to that height and front row 
it, watching that match was Mick Foley. You can see like a young, uh, I'm going to guess teenage Mick Foley, and he is losing his shit because he just fucking loves wrestling that much. And, I mean, cut to the Hell in a Cell match where he flies off the top. I guess he was kind of uh, imitating his hero there. Yep. In a way. Um, but he just kept going. He just kept going for the fans. Like, you would imagine anybody else, if they took that fall off off of the, the cell, through that table, that would be it. That'd be the end of the match. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> fuck, I mean, the, the choke slam through the top, and then to go from there. And he managed to bust open Taker, uh... And and the tax, like, he was an entertainer through and through. My god, yes. I really feel like Mick Foley is, uh, was, was one of the main reasons that I got so into wrestling and why I kept watching for so long. And also, he had one of the greatest theme songs in wrestling history. Which one? <laughs> well... Yeah, he had yeah, a mankind, bunch. Mankind, I'm guessing. The Mankind Mick Foley theme, like the mm-hmm. car wreck one, is yeah. fucking phenomenal. You know what? In a future episode, we should do a top five of our favorite wrestling themes. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to wrestling maybe in time for like WrestleMania next year or something. Fuck yeah! Let's put uh, a pin. Let's put a pin in that topic because I want to yeah. come back to that one. Yeah, well, and we'll we can do uh, wrestling theme music and maybe finishing moves or something like that. Perfect. Yeah. Um, um. Yeah. My number one wrestling match of all time is from WrestleMania 2000, I believe. Correct okay. me if I'm wrong, but the original tables, ladders, and chairs match for the God tag damn team it, title. Man. That's Fuck my number it. one. Yeah? <laughs> yes. Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, and the Hardys. Not to mention, not to mention interferences by Lita, Spike Dudley, and Rhino. Yep. Yeah, um, that's funny, man. We got the same top two here. Uh, but, like, this was the one I went to look at. Like, this one specifically, I went to watch highlights of. And then I just could not contain myself. I had to watch the entire match from start to finish. Yeah. With every replay, every intro, everything. So two of my matches are from 2000, one's from 1998. So it's easy to tell, like, what age I was at when I was real big into wrestling. Yeah. Um... Yeah, let's get into it. You know what? Before we get into our top match, I'll just tell you my number three because we might as well just do this together. Uh, and and I, you're going to see a theme with mine where it's always just guys absolutely taking a, a beating and and giving their all. Uh, my number three was Stone Cold versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13. Nice. That was a fucking hell of a match. Yeah. Um, it's got the infamous ending of Stone Cold tapping out to the sharpshooter with a, a face full of blood. Uh, and, man, just, like, go, I was I was going back, and basically I was at the point where, like, I had my top two, and I was like, my number three 
is probably going to be either a Stone Cold or a Shawn Michaels match because those two guys were guys I was huge fans of. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, Bret Hart had a lot of chances to make that that cut anyway, based on those two. Uh, probably the biggest rivalries he ever had. Uh, so I watched highlights of stuff and just watching the like looking back at this Stone Cold Bret Hart fight like for uh for for starters like this was the 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 moment that Bret Hart went heel which was a big thing for wrestling for for such a face like i mean the canadian boy Bret the Hitman Hart to go heel and make that heel turn and become a bad guy over the course of a match uh and i mean he cemented it with his, his monologuing on the following night following night's raw but like Stone Cold never really changed much of his attitude in that specific match, but I feel like that kind of put him over a little bit, uh, and that, I feel like is is one of, like, I mean, I could be dating this wrong, but I feel like that has got to be one of the, uh, one of the, the first real matches to set off the Attitude Era. It, I mean, I could be off by a little bit there, but it's got to be pretty close to the beginnings. Um, I don't know, there's something nice about just seeing, like, there's no gimmicks, there's no cages, there's no, um, no tables and ladders and chairs and stuff, as much as I like it, it's just a classic fucking, to, to quote Jim Ross, it's a fucking slobber knocker. Uh, slobber knocker, I love that yeah, word. Yeah, right? Like, that defines that word, though. Stone Cold, Bret Hart, two all-time greats, just going at it and kicking the absolute living shit out of each other um uh, the honorable mention the one that almost made the cut was uh the first time stone cold and the rock faced off at wrestlemania um i forget which one might have been x7 i can't remember exactly what wrestlemania that was but that was another one of those ones where like you just had two absolute legends in the ring and they put each other through hell and they put off a great show and it's just like a classic, fantastic wrestling match. Um, so yeah, that's my number three. We agreed on number two, and let's get into tables, ladders, chairs. Yeah. Did you watch this one live? I did. It was like, it was so just fucking astounding to see at the time. Well, I mean, like, there was a. I don't know about you and your friends, but uh, there was always this debate amongst me and my friends, like, when we were watching wrestling or we were playing wrestling games, like, what weapon was the best? Was it the ladder? Was it the table? Was it the chair? Like, obviously, the yeah. steel chair is probably the most iconic of the three wrestling weapons. Well, yeah, yeah. But, like, you had... Um, Edge and Christian who were using chairs all the time and like it's such an iconic classic wrestling prop and then yeah, you had the Hardys doing their high flying from the ladders and everything like that and plus like just ladder matches in general you yeah. had like people taking the big spills from the top of the ladders I mean and, another uh, just, just to tie in there yeah. another match that I considered in my top matches uh, the only one from the pre-Attitude era that I considered was the 
Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon ladder match for I think for the Intercontinental title. Yeah, that was a fucking hell of a match. Yep. Yeah. So like ladder matches go back a ways. Oh yeah, and then tables like people are always mm. getting put through tables in professional wrestling, and then you just had like junior high. There were so many boys running around our school, like just yelling like. Anytime you see a folding table anywhere, Devon, yeah. get the table. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Oh man, and like they led up to this match perfectly yeah. with the like the per- like the feuding between all three tag teams yeah. and the injuries to their kind of like third ringer guys. Yeah. Um, and and the building up of the tables and the ladders and the chairs, like it it was an excellent storyline that culminated in again my my idea of the greatest wrestling match I've ever witnessed. Yeah. Um. And like rewatching it, it holds up so well. It's still fucking amazing to watch. Oh my god, yes. Like, um, highlight points: Edge spearing Jeff Hardy off of a fucking twenty foot ladder. Yep. Insane, absolutely fucking insane. Um, the the Jeff Hardy Swanton bomb bomb off of the twenty foot ladder onto Rhino and Spike Dudley going through like three or four tables or something like that. I forget how many tables. Like yeah. fuck, man. Uh, the highlights and the big moments you can you can just rhyme them off here. So good. Uh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And like all six I, of those guys involved in the main part of the match, not including like the managers and stuff that came in and you know tried to swing the match. Yeah. But just the main six guys in that match put it all out there. Like they put it on the line for yes. our entertainment that night. Every single one of them took an absolute beating. Yep. Um, and I think. Honestly, I think all six of those guys, I don't know if any of them have it yet or not, I feel like maybe Edge, deserve a spot in the Hall of Fame, at least in the tag team division. Oh my god, yes. All all three of those are, in my eyes, some of the greatest tag team uh, partnerships of all time. Yeah. They're right up there with, like, the Road Warriors, and... Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, uh, anyway. Yeah. I mean, none of them will will quite live up to the New Age Outlaws for me. I was me, just but... about to say that. Road Dog <laughs> uh, and Badass Billy Gunn. Oh, yeah. Those were the days, man. Uh, you know what? Fucking Scotty Too Hotty. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking... Oh, yeah. <sighs> Grandmaster Sexay. Yeah. Uh, actually, you know what? That's something else we should probably briefly mention. Talking about wrestling deaths, uh, actually, Brian Lawler, uh, Grandmaster Sexy, recently passed away. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sad, sad, tragic death, but, uh, yeah, uh, back to the TLC. Uh, don't want to get too caught up in in our, our dramatic, serious wrestling talk again there. How did they get people to sign off? On like, like okay, the way this match is gonna end is with you putting your face in Rikishi's asshole. 
<laughs> I have no idea. Like, it was a weird time for wrestling. Like, they had to be like, alright, I'll give you an extra, like, 5k for, th- like, this paycheck. <laughs> like, yeah, you have a 400-pound man who is obviously going to be sweating because he's, you know, running around and lifting things and, you know, under the bright lights and... So, obviously, this 400-pound man is going to be sweaty. And you're going to put your face right in his stink hole. Yep. (laughs) I have no idea. I have no idea. That is devotion to your craft. Yep. Either that or a desperation for cash. Right? Like, holy fuck. The Attitude Era was a was a fucking fun fun time. Yeah. Especially like like the first couple of years of the Attitude Era was way more about the hardcore scene. Yeah. And then that's where the ridiculousness got in there with Rikishi and and some of the the diva matches and shit they did with like all the X-Pac with all the, the Bronco Buster. The Bronco Buster. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, like it it was, and I mean, it was fun, and it still like holds up. I remember, like The Godfather and Val Venus, like it got really sexual there for a while. Mark Henry, uh, Mark Henry, sexual chocolate, yeah. yeah. Uh, was he the world's he, strongest man? No, sexual chocolate. And then, yeah, was he, it like <laughs> May Young or Fabulous Moolah that he was like on the go with? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Fuck, that brings me back. Oh boy. That that whole thing was something altogether, um, but yeah, I guess that uh, that <laughs> caps off our, our top wrestling matches. Um, there were a few guys I wish I could have fit in here. Shawn Michaels being one, and, and maybe uh, The Rock as well. Yep. Uh, but I mean, it's not about our favorite wrestlers of all time. It's the favorite matches. So. Um, when I'm we fine come, with when that. we come back to wrestling and we do theme songs, finishers, and we can do our like top five favorite wrestlers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a, that's an episode in it, in and of itself. Yeah, perfect. Um, and oh, we're, we're recording this like what three days after SummerSlam, something like that. Yeah, funny enough. Uh, I I've heard pretty good things. I, I heard the it was a pretty good card. Nice. I looked I looked at I looked at a lineup of it and I had no idea. Like, it was actually looked like a really fucking good lineup of matches. Nice. Um, I'm so not up on current wrestling. Yeah, I I I come in and out of it. Um, uh, like, let me just see. Uh, where. Is the card here? They should have this laid out better. Okay, so we got like I'm just just quickly gonna look through this because it it just sounded good. Um, Braun Strowman and Kevin Owens fought Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, The Miz and Daniel Bryan, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Jeff Hardy, which sounds like a fucking great fight. Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, Ronda see, Rousey. I, see, I know most of these people. I know the yeah. names, even though I'm not super familiar with them. Yeah, 
Uh, oh, and and the new day. That's something we should talk about, real quick. Have you followed the new day at all? Not at all. Out out of like all current modern wrestling, the new day are are at, at least for a period of time were the best fucking thing ever because they were like. Uh, coming out at WrestleMania dressed in like Dragon Ball Z era costumes and like the, they're like bringing anime and and modern geekiness to the forefront of of wrestling fans. Like, I I've seen them before. Uh, I saw them on Good Mythical Morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I I haven't seen like any other matches. They make a lot of geeky references, even in some of the, like their finishing moves and stuff, and like. They one guy would come out playing like a a trombone and they were like dancing in the ring and shit like they're they're fun I I really enjoy what they've been doing. Uh, but uh, for everything we said today, like every, um, make leave us some comments below, guys. Like if you have any particular wrestling matches that you want to mention that we did not talk about that you think are some of the greatest uh, any fight scenes and so on just uh, throw them at us like we're, we're totally down for having some discussions even on Facebook somewhere yep hell yeah and we don't know that much about wrestling so like uh, I'm sure Matt um, uh, has some uh, some recommendations here for some some great matches that we definitely missed I know I know a few people who could definitely educate us on pro wrestling. Uh, Chris Rogers, yeah. Mel Hanneman. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So anyone who's listening and uh, has something like that, you know, uh, leave us a leave us a message. Um. So I guess that'll be it for our episode today on fighting. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we got to a lot of these topics. Yeah, um, before we go, I wanted yep. to pose a question to our listeners that, okay. you know, you can respond to us on Facebook, you can DM us, you can make a YouTube video, an audio recording to respond to us, but here's my question for everyone out there, and Ryan, you can respond to this as well if you think something up. Yep. Okay, so... It's been long debated who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman. Okay. A lot of people say Goku would win. A lot of people say Superman would win. Like, they're pretty on even ground. So, like, they're on... Yeah, like, they're fairly similar in strengths and feats and whatnot. So, it's highly contested. But... Batman has defeated Superman in the past. Yeah, that's true. Through exposing Superman's weaknesses to things like magic and kryptonite, for example. So, my question is, is it possible for Batman to beat Goku? If so, how? That's a good question. Um, We talked about this a while back. And I've thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And, like, I mean just Goku versus Batman. I'm, like, 
saying, oh, Goku would enlist the help of these Justice League members and take Goku down that way. No, I, I don't want that answer. I feel like that's a cop-out. Like, I know one of the times that Goku took Superman in Dark Knight Rises, he, or the Dark Knight Returns, he enlisted the help of Oliver Queen. Okay, yeah. But, like, I'm I'm trying to leave allies out of this. So, yeah. if you can think of a way in which Batman could beat Goku just using his wits, his skills, and his own technology and devices, like, his arsenal that already exists, no being like, him and Alfred and Lucius Fox build the Goku killer, and he wins. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's like, do a, let's hear bit it. Of a, let's do a bit of a fan poll. Yep. And uh, on the next episode, we'll discuss the answers. Yes, please. But speaking of uh, uh, following up on recent episodes, on our last episode, we revealed the first round of our commentary track bracket. Yes. Uh, at the end of September, when Atlanticon weekend comes around, me and you are going to be recording a commentary track to go along to a movie yep and we decided the best way to do that was to do an elimination style tournament uh definitely the simplest way to go about it uh so uh we're getting fan votes here and the votes are in uh so round two is finished round one is in the books yes uh final scores we had lock stock and two smoking barrels versus delivery man Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels took that one 7-2. to two. Ooh. Uh, uh, Jurassic Park 3 versus Superbad. Jurassic Park 3 came out on top 7-2 to two as well. A lot of 7-2s here. Uh, <laughs> the closest match we had, Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace versus Spider-Man 3. Phantom Menace edged out Spider-Man 3 by one vote, 6-5. to five. Which one won? Phantom Menace. Ooh. Yeah. And lastly, Batman and Robin dominated Fantastic Four, or Fan-Four-Stick, 7-2. God damn. So, the, it's time again to vote. Uh, you can vote again. Uh, this time, we've got just the two matchups. I'll be posting about this in the same way that I did last time. Uh, so we got... Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels is moving on to face Jurassic Park 3. In the half of this, it's actually comprised of good movies. Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace versus Batman and Robin, the two towering titans of terrible film. Uh, <laughs> so, that's going to be fun. Uh, get your votes in before the next episode. We'll be posting up on all of our various social media about that. Hell yeah. I I feel like it feel this feels like it's going pretty well. Uh, I a lot of a lot of people actually voting yep. on that, and I'm that, I'm glad about that. Uh, and I feel like all the movies we have here are going to be great for commentary track anyway. Oh my god, yes. I I have a feeling which one is going to win already. Yeah, but we'll see because you know. You can always be surprised. There's always the underdog story in these things. 
that's true. It's true. So, uh, last thing we need to do, uh, you may be seeing it by now, I would say you are, because I'm going to try and get it up sometime today. We have brand new artwork. Yes. And it looks fucking great, and I love it. Yep. Uh, so obviously we have to shout out the artist that uh, completed this for us, uh, Adam Buckle. Yeah, here in Cornerbrook. Yep. Yep. A really uh, local guy, huh? Yeah. Uh, he lives like a five-minute walk away from me. Wow. Uh, the artwork came out fantastic. I am absolutely in love with it. Uh, you're going to be seeing that around a little bit more. And uh, even with other podcasts like Final Form and the Dropout Report and stuff, I'm going to start using this artwork as sort of a a tag, just like... In the corner of the artwork, uh, just to sort of tie everything in together and and show that it's all part of the Jedi Dropouts productions. Hell yeah. Plus, we have awesome artwork that was done by an actual artist, so I'm going to be using it as much as possible. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> just, to, just to fucking show it off, if, if nothing else. No, I, I was super stoked with how it turned out. He was really easy to work with. Um... Like, me and him were messaging back and forth on Facebook, like, pretty frequently, and any, like, as soon as he would have a rough draft of anything, he would send it to me and ask, like, okay, what do you want changed? Like, do you need this move? Do you want the color on this done? And I would, like, send it to you and ask for your feedback as well, and then I would message him and, like, you know, tell him, like, oh, like, could this be a little bit more centered? Could, like, you know, and... He was super easy to work with. He had the project done for us in no time at all. Like, he put so much of his own time into this project for us that it was done much quicker than I thought it was going to be just because he was so devoted to the project. And I couldn't be happier working with the guy, and I will definitely be commissioning him again in the future. Yeah. And for anyone looking for uh, logos and artwork done, like, highly, highly recommend checking this guy out. Yeah. Um, and I guess that will be it for another episode of Jedi Dropouts. Woo! Yep. <laughs> another one in the books. Another one in the books. Too bad I can't read. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's always the problem with those damn books. Yep. Uh, as always, you can listen to other episodes of Jedi Dropouts, Final Form, The Dropout Report, uh, what else we got, Hyper Battle, whatever the, whatever else we think of over at www.jedidropouts.podbean.com or uh, available on pretty much every platform you can get your podcasts. Uh, uh, you can follow... Um me on uh, YouTube, Jimmy Romantic. Yes. Um, you can also find me on Twitch, which I haven't been very active on Twitch lately just because it's been summer, it's been nice out, I've been trying to spend as much time outside with the dog as possible. But um, now in the fall and winter, I will be more active on Twitch. Uh, it's twitch.tv slash xjimmyxromanticx. But the links to that will be on the Jedi Dropouts Facebook page. Yeah, of course. 
Um, I'm not doing much else aside from the podcasting, but I do want a hell of a lot of podcasting. Um, another another little thing you can check out. I'm not sure when it's going to be up. I'm thinking either this week or next week. I guest appeared on somebody else's podcast uh, for for the first time. Uh, hopefully not the last. Uh, I've mentioned uh, wasted potential uh, before. A podcast that my my uh, final form co-host Mitchell Clark has co-hosted quite a few times. It's hosted uh, by Joseph. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, so I'm just gonna call him Saul because that's what he normally goes by. Uh, Saul is uh, he has a podcast called Wasted Potential, where he takes something he's a fan of, be it a video game, movie, TV series, what have you. Uh, spends a bunch of time talking about what he loves about it and then goes into what needs to probably be fixed. Nice. So uh, I sat down with him last week and we recorded an episode on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ooh, which was a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to listen to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll be posting the links to that whenever that's up. It was really fun uh, and really weird to be on a podcast and then after I'm done recording, I that's it. I just walk away, because I'm usually the the mixer, the editor. I, I like the recording is just the first step in a long process. So this is how James feels. Yeah, it's like oh, you just get to go do something else now. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> what do I do now? Like as soon as as soon as we're done this, <laughs> like I mean, with our new setup, I do have to. Uh, send you the audio files I'm recording on my side, but you're still going to be doing all the mixing and editing of that. But yeah, yeah, like while I'm waiting for it to upload to Dropbox so I could send it to you, I'm just going to go make a sandwich. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's what you're at. Yep. Yeah, I, I like the new setup because now you, now you know how it feels to, to to be finished recording and have to do work. Oh man. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> okay uh thanks again everybody for listening uh always appreciated all, all the downloads and listens and and shares people people i i love it i love that that some people uh even before listening to an episode will share it just to be like hey everybody go listen to this it means the world to me yeah because that one is not even like there's like in the process of listening to us and being a fan. That's not even a necessity in any way. Uh, so that's really like someone going out of their way to just show that they appreciate the podcast, and it means a lot to us. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, so thanks again, everybody. Uh, thank you for dropping by. And something, something, drop out. And don't forget to to drop the gloves. <laughs> Later. Peace. This has been a Jedi Dropouts production.